am absolutely closed over. I, I can hardly hear anything. I can hardly even hear myself. So um, this is going to be interesting. I've had a cold for the past week, the past few days. It's been really intense. That's why I haven't been out greeting people, because I don't want to sneeze or cough on you. This all happened because I was playing with a little three-year-old, and she coughed in my face. And right when it happened, I said to myself, I'm a goner. And that was true. It was true. But no doubt, many of you are experiencing many of the same things, illness, sickness, going through the, the cold season. I'm sure Bonnie has seen her fair share of people who have been ill with things like that. Just want to couple, make a couple of announcements. Next Saturday at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary uh, is going to be a worship time. So if you'd like to come and just spend some time in worship, uh, the praise band and many others are going to be here, and we're just going to spend a time of musical worship uh, and uh, lifting up the name of the Lord. I want to exhort you all to read through the testimony Tammy Dice put in here this week. Uh, when she sent it to me, I told her it was a great example of the fact that God never stops talking to us. God never stops communicating with us. He's always after us. Uh, some commentators have called him the hound of heaven because he is always seeking us out. But it's a wonderful testimony. just want to encourage you, if you would like to share your testimony, we handed out those testimony outlines uh, several weeks ago. I would really like to encourage you to share your testimony with the rest of the congregation so others can uh, come into the reality of what God has done in your life. God is at work. I'm preparing a, a series on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I told you guys that I sort of felt like Easter wasn't getting its full due. You know, we celebrate Christmas so fervently, and, and that's wonderful, and I love Christmas. Uh, but oftentimes, Easter pops up on us, and before you know it, here's Easter, and we haven't even really thought about it. Uh, this year, that's not going to be the case. I'm going to do a series of teachings called To the Cross and Back, focusing on what Easter is all about, and hopefully we will have a growing uh, revelation, each one of us, of the import of Easter in our lives, and it'll be something that we can truly, truly celebrate. So how are you guys doing? Okay, wonderful. Well, let's go into the Bible, God's Word. It is powerful. It always accomplishes what it is sent forth to accomplish. And it is eternal. It is immutable. It is everlasting. That's why we study this book each and every week. And hopefully in your own lives at home, you are devotionally reading this book. Hopefully you are spending time digging deeper into this book. Because there is no more profound truth that you will find anywhere anywhere in the universe than the Bible. And today we are studying Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. I've titled it, Finding Joy 
and giving, or joy and giving to the ministry. Because very specifically here, this is a section of Scripture where Paul is thanking the Philippians for their gift to him, but more importantly, he is teaching them about the nature of giving. And I think it's important for each one of us that we understand the nature of giving. You know, throughout the years, and especially, I guess, this is just from my perspective, what I have seen, I got born again in a a very Pentecostal little church. It was Word of Faith, and so that was sort of the, the name it and the claim it crowd. And what I, as a young Christian, grew up with was this notion of giving that was very skewed, was not very biblical. And there were many people within that population, preachers who lived very lavish lifestyles, television preachers primarily. And they would tell people, give, and there will be a hundredfold blessing upon you. And so I remember being at one evangelistic meeting where the evangelist was saying, there are and this is in a group of maybe about 50 people, there are 10 people here who are going to give $1,000. And I just thought to myself as I looked around the room, because I knew these people, I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and it, you know, it's just giving is one of those things that when the pastor starts to speak on it and teach about it, people get nervous, people get agitated, because it's almost like there's this notion that God wants to dip into our pockets and pull out our sustenance. This passage of scripture that we're going to be going through this morning hopefully will reveal to each one of us that that's really not true, but that there is a great deal of joy associated with giving in a truly biblical way. So let's begin to read. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Notice there, Paul says he rejoiced greatly when he received the gift from the Philippian church. He didn't just have a little bit of joy, but it was a great an abundant, an overflowing joy when he realized that he was still on the mind and in the heart of the Philippian church. As we'll see in a few moments, Paul had received gifts from the Philippians before. And at this point in time in his ministry, he is in a Roman prison awaiting trial before Caesar Nero. And so perhaps at this point, he's wondering, Do the Philippians still remember what I taught them about giving? 
You see, joy and giving are indivisibly connected. When you give, you will experience joy. And when you are full of joy, you will be most willing to give. They go together. You cannot separate them. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the suffering of the cross, despising the shame. The greatest gift that was ever given, God's own Son, was a gift associated with an ultimate outcome of joy. So joy and giving are indivisibly connected. And Paul is rejoicing greatly because the Philippians have once again found opportunity to give unto the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul rejoices in that. He's not rejoicing in the financial gift that he has received. He's rejoicing in the reality that he has once again connected with the heart of the Philippian church. It's it's not the material gift that Paul is concerned about here. It is the gift that comes from their hearts, the love, ultimately, that undergirds it. And he says that. He says, it's not that I'm in need. I'm not looking for that material gift from you. In fact, I've learned to be content in all circumstance, whether I'm well-fed or whether I am in want, whether I'm living in plenty or whether I am hungry. No matter what my situation, I'm content. But I am blessed I'm rejoicing greatly because you continue to understand. You continue to demonstrate. You continue to live out the truth that biblical giving is associated with godly joy. Isn't it interesting here that Paul says he has learned a secret. He has learned a secret. A secret is something that is not widely known, that not everybody is aware of. And perhaps this is a secret that many people in this building this morning do not fully understand. He has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. How about you? Have you learned that secret? Have you learned the secret of godly contentment. Paul, or excuse me, Jerry Bridges, Christian author, defines the secret as this. The secret of contentment is knowing that in whatever circumstance you are in, whatever situation you find yourself, whether abundance or dearth, wherever you are at, knowing that God is with you in that situation. God is with you in your abundance. God is with you in your lack. God is with you 
in every circumstance. And when you understand that, you can, like Paul say, I then can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. And we're going to be going into verse 13 next week, and we're going to be digging deep in verse 13, what it means that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But the secret of contentment, church, is knowing that God is with you at all times. Yesterday, when my head was fully just as full as it could be, and my right ear was exploding. I'm telling you, I don't know if I had a, an ear infection or what, but I was in a great deal of pain. I kept telling myself, God is with me. God is with me in this. What do I have to learn in this situation? What is this pain teaching me? It's not that I enjoyed the pain, you understand, <laughs> but it's that I understood that I didn't have to try to escape that necessarily because within that situation, there was something for me to learn, something that God wanted to show me. And if it was nothing else then, that God was with me in the pain, then that's good enough. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And again, we'll get into that more deeply next week. So there's a great deal of joy associated with godly giving and a deep contentment that also is connected to knowing that God is with us in all situations. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul says it's good when we give to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing for us to share out of our substance with the ministry of the gospel in ensuring its spread. God has ordained from the very outset of humanity that we worship him and that we expand his work through giving. When the Israelites were building the tabernacle in the wilderness, God said, let all of those who of a willing heart will give bring these things. And the Israelites brought everything that was needed until there was an abundance, until, in fact, Moses had to say, stop, we have more than enough for the work that God has commanded. God has directed us to participate in the expansion of his kingdom and through our giving, through our sacrificial offerings, to worship him. It's a wonderful blessing that you have received, that you can, through your gifts each Sunday, worship God and expand his kingdom. And he has made it known from the very early days that that was the case true also of the Philippians. Paul spent some time in Philippi as a prisoner. 
He was preaching the gospel, proclaiming the good news. Several people had come to faith. And Paul was walking through the marketplace, and there was a a woman there, a young girl, who was demon-possessed and would make her masters much money from prophesying through that demonic presence. And when Paul and his companions came around her, she began to prophesy that they were proclaiming the true way of God and they were prophets of the Most High, which was true. But God does not need testimony from demonic sources. And so after several days, Paul was so grieved in his spirit, he turned to this girl and he cast the demon out. And as a result of that, Paul and Silas were put into prison. They were beaten and for several days spent their time in the darkest part of a Philippian jail. And of course, we all know the story. They began to pray at midnight. The jail was rocked. An earthquake occurred. All of the prisoners were able to be set free. And the jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul said, don't do it. Don't do it. We're all here. And Paul preached the gospel to the jailer. And the jailer was converted, he and his whole household. What must we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and you will be saved. And it was true. That's what happened. So Paul had developed this very connected relationship with the Philippians. They loved him, and, and Paul loved them. And after he left Philippi, he began, Philippi was in Macedonia, he began to proceed south down uh, the, the Grecian isthmus there to Thessalonica. And he was in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths, the Bible says. Three Sabbaths preaching the gospel before he was forcibly kicked out of Thessalonica. But what I want you to notice here is the heart of the Philippians. Look at what Paul says here. In the early days of their acquaintance with the gospel, in other words, shortly after Paul had to leave Philippi, when he set out from there, no one else had shared with him except them And when he was in Thessalonica, they sent aid to him more than once when he was in need down there. Now, he was only down there for three weeks. And that reveals to us the heart that the Philippians had to give unto the ministry. They were looking for opportunity to give to Paul, to spread the gospel. And they were frequent givers. Paul says, it's not the gift again that I desire, but rather I desire that more be credited to your account. Now, this is a very profound and powerful passage of Scripture. I want you to, if you have your Bibles open, underline it. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I want you, when you get home, to underline it in your Bible. Write it down right now. But this is very, very important. Paul desires from the gift of the Philippians that more be, excuse me, more be credited to their account. What account? What account is Paul speaking of? It's the account 
that is in heaven that God is keeping about their giving. You see, God is a meticulous and a detailed observer and accountant. Jesus observed the widow giving the two mites, all that she had. Jesus was watching as all of the, the rich would go and drop their cash into the offering. But the one that he noticed, the one that he called out, was this poor widow with her two mites. The Bible says that, that God watches every sparrow fall, that he knows the very hairs of our head. Every jot and every tittle, the smallest little marks in the Hebrew language, Jesus said, would be fulfilled. God is a detailed accountant. And every gift that you give, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, uh, just a simple prayer, whether it's a, a thank you to someone else who needs to be encouraged, my wife received a text this week from someone, and my wife was struggling with some ministry things, and this little text, two sentences, absolutely transformed her day. That little text, I want to suggest to you, went in that person's account in heaven. God observed it. God was watching he was paying attention. And that's what Paul is seeking for the Philippians. And this is what I desire for you, that your account in heaven be full, that every little gift that you give is accounted for. Whether you give to the church here or Operation Christmas Child or to a missionary in some foreign land, or whether it's just the simple kindnesses that you share with your friends and with your neighbors. Every gift that you give, God observes and records, and it's placed in your account. Giving matters. Giving is what God does. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when we give, we are imitating him. We are becoming more like him. And Paul says, it's not the gift, it's not the material thing, but it's the heart of the gift that God is watching for. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. David Livingstone, the missionary to Africa, said, when I die, bury my heart in Africa. Because that's where his heart was. His treasure was the people that he was leading to the Lord there. Where is your heart today? Where is your heart when it comes to giving, even the smallest of gifts, the two mites that you might have to offer unto the Lord? Where is your heart? Because you can give two mites and it can mean nothing. You can give 10,000 and it can mean nothing if your heart is not connected to that gift. 
if it's not given out of a love for the person that is receiving it and ultimately the God who has given you the power and the resources to give it. I have received full payment, verse 18, and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the third thing we learn here, the first thing we learn is that joy and giving are indivisibly connected. The second thing we learn is that it is good to give unto the ministry of the gospel. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that cheerful giving is always sufficient. Cheerful giving is always sufficient. What that means is when you give from your heart and you give cheerfully, it's not the amount that matters. Because God will be able to make whatever you give sufficient for the need. Look at what Paul writes here. He says that he is amply supplied from their gift. Now, we don't know the nature of their gift. We don't know the amount. But Paul says that he was amply supplied from that gift. This phrase translated amply supplied is also found in John the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 3. When Mary broke open the alabaster jar of perfume, Scripture says that it filled the entire house. And the word there is a word meaning filled every crevice, every possible point that could be filled was filled, which you would expect, right, from a perfume That makes sense when a jar of perfume is broken open that it would fill every crevice, every corner, every nook and every cranny in a lodging. But Paul says the Philippian gift has done the exact same thing for him. That there is absolutely no portion of his life, no aspect of his situation that their gift has not met. And so it is when we give with a cheerful heart. Our gift meets the need because God is able to make it so. Secondly, it's sufficient unto God. Paul says that their gift was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So the gift that they gave to Paul, while Paul received it and in an earthly sense was able to benefit from it, ultimately it was worship to God. Ultimately, God received it as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, and it was pleasing to him. Now, this word pleasing is important also in the Greek because it's exactly the same word that was used when God spoke from heaven at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And he said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, now just stop. God, being pleased in Jesus, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't astound me. That's what I would expect. But God, having that same pleasure in my gift, 
me having the opportunity to please him in the same fashion that Jesus did? That, church, is astounding. That is deep water. So it's sufficient for God. And finally, it was sufficient to meet all of the needs of the Philippians. Now this seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? They are giving away of their substance. Everything that they possess, they have given a portion of that away. And here Paul assures them that God is able to meet their needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So when we give away, it comes back to us in greater measure. There's a Pennsylvania Dutch saying called, when that's all. Does anybody in here know what that means? Essentially, when you're sitting at a table and someone is serving you, and they say to you, when that's all, what they are saying is, when you're done, there's more in the kitchen. There's seconds and thirds and fourths. And this is how it is with God. God says to us, when that's all, when, you're, when your situation seems exhausted, when it seems absolutely without resource, God says, there's more coming from the kitchen. And ultimately, there is always more coming from God. He is always able to meet. What does it say there? All of our desires and wants? No. That's not what it says, is it? It says that he will meet all of our needs. And this is where we need to pay attention because a lot of times people get confused when when giving, you know, when they hear the television preachers say, give and you'll receive a hundredfold blessing. You give a dollar and you'll get a hundred back. And that doesn't happen. They begin to question God. What's going on? Well, God has never promised that. He has promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Sometimes he blesses us with a great abundance financially. Other times, the better blessing is for us to be impoverished. God knows what our needs are. We're not all meant to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. In the gospel economy, that's not how it works. There are rich and there are poor. The rich, Paul said to Timothy, should, from their resources, use it to bless the gospel. The poor, James says, should look unto God, who has been their provider in all things. But God will meet every one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When that's all, you can absolutely expect there's more to come in order to provide for you. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, first, we learn that we need to be prepared to give when we have opportunity. Verse 10. As soon as the Philippians had opportunity, they gave back to Paul. When they realized how to get an offering to Paul in Rome, they took advantage of that opportunity. So too for us. Whatever opportunity God gives to you, this is the application from this passage for you. Look for that opportunity. Be prepared. Be prone 
to move when God tells you, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, shaken together and pressed. So look for opportunity to give. Give in faith. Verse 17. In a faith that everything that you give is being recorded, is being accounted for in heaven. But also in a faith that it pleases God. That with a cheerful heart, when you give, it pleases him. Just as his son Jesus pleased him. Thirdly, we need to give abundantly or liberally. Paul says that the gift from the Philippian church amply supplied him, met every aspect of his need. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. And again, that is not necessarily a material equation. The reaping that you may do is the reaping of joy, the reaping of lives. But you will reap abundantly if you give abundantly. And finally, verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. When you give, give to the glory of God. Don't give to be seen by other people. Don't give to receive accolades from man. That's temporal, and it's empty. Give for the glory of God. Absolutely give, understanding, knowing that God is watching. I want to play a video now in conclusion of my message. It's a video of a song that actually came out in the late 80s. Some of you probably weren't even born when this song came out. But it's a song that touched my heart. Some of you might be familiar with it. But it's a song and a video that really drives home the point that I am trying to make here is that giving giving is important to God, and God is paying attention. So let's watch the video.
missionary came to your church His pictures made you cry You didn't have much money But you gave it anyway Jesus took the gift you gave And that's why I'm here today Father, we thank you that you have given us the greatest gift that we could possibly imagine, the indescribable gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Each one of us here this morning, Lord, has been empowered by your Spirit to do as you have done 
to give of our lives, of our sustenance to others who are in need, Lord, and in so doing reflect you. And we do so, Lord, to the glory of God the Father, Lord, but in faith, absolutely assured that our giving matters and that you are lovingly and attentively watching our lives. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon this church. Come thou fount and fill us. In Jesus' name, amen.